Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, knowing that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. Awesome. Let's pray together, guys. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be able to open up your word. And... um, just again hear about your world, your creation, and our place in it. And Lord, we're so grateful that we get to take time and get pure, unadulterated wisdom from you, the, uh, the Holy One. And we pray, Lord, you give us the grace to interpret your word accurately, uh, to be responsible uh, proclaimers, but also receivers. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room right now to. Uh, not allow uh, the folly of their hearts to have the word fall on deaf ears. Would you give them grace? Would you give me grace uh, to not just be hearers of the word, so deceiving ourselves, be, be just smart, but to be doers, um, that we would be passionate and excited to know what you say about life, our lives, about this world, your world, um, about what's happening in it because of you and the cross. So we uh, ask the Holy Spirit guide us, and I, by your grace, Lord, would you speak to me and through me? We acknowledge as a covenant community that, man, anyone who gets up here and we're just trying to use what we, what we think is our, just our gift mix without yielding to you, Lord, um, is just futile. And so, Lord, we don't, we don't depend on anyone's gifts or personality traits in this place. We depend on the Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would guide our words, guide my words, and allow me to graciously lead your flock uh, to you, Jesus. Uh, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please have a seat, guys. Thank you. And open up your Bibles so we can go ahead and get right to work. Uh, we got a lot, a lot to do today, uh, for sure. If you, if you need a Bible, uh, we got Pastor Leon passing those out right now, so you can go ahead and and uh, raise your hand, and he'll hook you up. We want to just continue to encourage you to. Um, if you need a Bible at home, give us a let us know, and we want to give you one. We want people to be able to be learning how to navigate through the scriptures. That's our posture. That's our heart here. Um, we, we do not sit as judge over the scriptures. We sit as a subservient under the scriptures uh, as people. And so that's our posture here at this local church. We want to uh, respond to what God says, even sometimes when it's hard uh, to hear. Uh, so that's what we want to be about. We're going through the book of Acts right now. Uh, I'll just give you a little snapshot. Uh, we'll be do, doing that. We've been doing that for some time for over a year. We're in Acts 20. We're in a home stretch. Got maybe a couple more months uh, left in us in order for us to. <laughs> I said home stretch and everybody laughed at me. Whatever, man. I've been seeing your preaching and we got a grip before we get done with Acts. Okay, maybe not the home stretch. Okay. But um, 
Hey, uh, what we're going to do actually, and this doesn't help the case, we're going to actually take a break because we're going to spend some time uh, diving into uh, preparing our hearts for the Super Bowl of Christian Christianity, Easter, right? And so... um, so we will be uh, spending time dealing, working through Lent and processing those things and, and hitting Palm Sunday and the whole night. So uh, we're going to take a few weeks uh, to enjoy Jesus in that way. And then we're going to come back to Acts um, after we're done enjoying Christ and, and reminding the world uh, that he has risen. And so we don't gather together as kooky people, but we gather because they cannot find the body. Um, we're in Acts 20. A lot has gone on during our time. Just want to encourage you, ask your questions. If there are questions that can um, benefit the whole local body here, if you feel like this is something more personal, uh, come up afterwards and process with me. Uh, you got you know, elders that I can even have the guys raise their hand that you can process with. And we have a bunch of leaders in our covenant community. So just leave and don't, don't, don't leave feeling like, man, I didn't understand some aspects of the gospel. Man, we, we're here dedicated to you understanding who Christ is and what he's done and what that means for your life. Okay, just want you to know that, guys. Um, in a nutshell, if you, again, if you're new, we're in Acts 20, so you got a lot of catching up to do. want to encourage you to go to our, our website. You can listen to the talks and go through the book. Hope it's really encouraging. Just want to give you a little snapshot real quick. Um, in a nutshell, Luke and Acts started as actually one book. It was one canon uh, in, the early, in antiquity, and then it became uh, two books. And the whole focus of the book uh, was to encourage this powerful dude, Theophilus, about the life and work of Jesus Christ, right? And the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, basically validating that he is king. Um, then he actually gives the disciples a mission because they're all excited now. They were kind of jacked up, like, man, what's going on? Thought he was a savior. He's dead. He rises, they're like, oh, it's on now. He's like, yep, you're right, it's on, but this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the mission. Basically, you're going to build worshipers for me throughout the whole world. That's your job now. That's what you were actually created to do. You guys got off and messed things up. I'll come back to redeem it all and empower you to do it. I'm not just asking you to do it, but I'm actually going to give you the Holy Spirit. So then he gives them the mission, right? He says, you know, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the most parts of the world. And then, actually, you don't just go do that, but you got to do that not in your own strength. You got to do that in the power of the Holy Holy Spirit. He gives them the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. God gives those who know and love Jesus Christ. So all of you in here right now, if you say yes to Jesus and he's your Lord, he's your hope, God has given you his spirit to be able to do whatever you are doing for his glory. You ain't just nice and smart and powerful, but only because of God in you. So he does that with these guys. These guys see a great ministry happen. The church begins to flourish. People become Christians. They're seeing miracles. All this cool stuff's happening at the very same time. Uh, Satan's all, he's kind of mad, right? Because he's a defeated foe. So then he begins to persecute the church. He begins to do horrible things to the church. People are dying. He takes, God just wants to remind us that Satan's not in control. He's the one in control. So, so what God does, he takes one of Satan's major guys who are killing Christians, Saul. He says, actually, I'm just going to show you how cool I am. I'm going to take that guy, make him a Christian. I'm going to have him write 13 books of the Bible. It's going to be awesome, right? So that's what he does, right? So then Saul becomes a Christian. He's filled with the spirit. He begins to preach the gospel. Not only does he preach the gospel to the Jews, though, but God has been sh- is showing people all throughout Acts that actually the whole, one of the main reasons, if I and this pause that Jesus dies on the cross for even when you, for the Jews to see is so they can realize, oh, so we thought Jesus, God, was the God of the Jews, but actually he's the God of the whole world, right? Everybody, he's the Lord of all creation. And so Jesus is like, it just makes sense, right? If I'm the Lord of all creation, I just don't save one people group, right? I mean, if I'm Lord of everybody, I'm probably going to try to see everybody come and worship me because I created it all, right? I have five kids. I don't just want three of them calling me daddy, Right. 
right? I want all five of them to. So, so Paul, Paul gets it, starts preaching to the Gentiles. We see people come to Christ. More people come, uh, come to Jesus. He starts his missionary journeys. As I'm sharing this, J.D., you can kind of pop up the, the, if there's some uh, maps up there. He starts his missionary journey. In antiquity, we see that he goes through three major missionary journeys, right? They call them like the missionary journeys of Paul. And so um, basically what he does, he starts in his little known world, goes all the way out to, prop, to Europe proper, which people weren't going out there to preach the gospel, comes all the way around, and he leads people to Jesus, builds up a team, builds up leaders, builds up elders, and we begin to see the church strengthened in miraculous ways. In fact, that's what the scripture is talking about when it's talking about God turning the world upside down with these crazy guys, right? So we see that begin to happen. At the same time, Paul is getting beat up. He's getting shipwrecked. He's getting dogged out by the Jews every time he goes to a place. He preaches in the synagogue and they want to kill him. So it is just a mess. But in the midst of that mess, we are seeing the church begin to become powerful, rising up. Not powerful in the sense of what we think is power of like running things, but powerful in the sense of commitment to to Jesus, right? We're seeing people say, I'm willing to die for Jesus. And so these are the, so the God raises up the church. Uh, we see people uh, get killed. We see uh, Europe begins to hear the gospel. And we see Paul kind of circle this arena. Uh, we, uh, we, we looked at the mileage. Uh, one journey was like 2,400 miles. Another journey was like 1,400 miles. Another journey was 2,800 miles. So we see this guy, he doesn't have a Toyota or anything. He is on ships and doing all walking and stuff. And he goes that many miles to preach the gospel to kind of the same groups of people. Why? Because we learned through our study the importance of discipleship. Right? We see him not just, if you notice, that those are three missionary journeys that you're seeing right there, and they're all intertwined. Why? He could have went to even other places, but for some reason, God wanted to show us that he went to these places in the known world, and then he re-went, as it were, if I make that word up, he went again to those same places to strengthen the church so that people would not just say, oh, I know Jesus, but they would be equipped in Christ, the church would be built up, elders would be planted, and now the church could thrive. So we see all this happen uh, throughout our time as we're going through Acts. And then we get to Acts chapter 20. And it's a cool little um, kind of pause where, where, where Paul is realizing in the power of the spirit, I got to go do some stuff. I got to beeline myself uh, to Jerusalem. I'm trying to get there. But before I get there, I want to pause and ask you guys to bring the elders. Remember, because he had had all kind of drama. And then he pauses and he has a peacetime in Corinthians and Ephesus. And we realize that he spends some years there. And this is one of the first times in the book when we see Paul kind of pause. And he spends some years just kind of, you know, pouring his life into people. But I would also say just kind of having some me time. Like, man, man, this was crazy. Like, they, they try to kill me here. They try to kill me here. Lord, would you refresh my heart? And so God does a great work in his heart while he's also ministering to the saints. Okay, during that time, he gets really cool with these, the, the, the church of Ephesus and he builds those guys up. And as he's about to go to Jerusalem, uh, because he's realizing he's going to go to Jerusalem, but then eventually he might not see these people ever again. In fact, he says that we're going to see in the text. He's not going to see these people ever again. And he says, guess what? I'm not going to see you again. So you know what? Before I head out, I want you guys to go and tell the elders of, of Ephesus to come and see me. Get the elders. I need to holler at them. I want to talk to them one last time because I'm probably not going to hit. I'm not, they're not going to see my face again. So I got something to share. And so that's what we entered into in the beginning of, of chapter 20 last week. And what do we see in, a chapter, in chapter 20? We see him basically going to the elders and kind of doing a, you know, this is your life of himself. 
right? And he kind of says, hey, here's my life. And then we say, well, why does he do that? Why does he just go and say, yeah, here's my life. I did this, I did this. I was awesome. And God did this in my life and did this through me. Why does he do that? We came to the conclusion he does that not just to give them a memory lane issue, right? But he does that because he's trying to tell them, just as you've seen me, you've seen my story, right? Just as Jesus tells us, you see his story, Right, we talk about recapitulation in our in our body a lot. I say that all the time. So if you leave here, one thing you're gonna you're gonna wake up and they're like recapitulation, <laughs> yeah, because you're gonna remember that's the retelling of God's story, right? So what God does is he tells his story and then he tells us to tell his story. And that was the Jews, the Hebrews of old. And then they don't tell his story well because they fail and mess up because they're broken and fallen. We're messed up evil people. And so God uses history to confirm that we can't tell his story well. And then he says, well, I should, I'm, I'm going to have you pay for that reality. That's sin, you being evil. And I could destroy you all, but he doesn't. He sends Jesus to say, you can't tell the story well, but my perfect son can tell my story well so then jesus comes and he retells the story of god perfectly right he does it right and it says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so then jesus comes and retells the story and where israel fails god succeeds in christ god and jesus fulfills everything and then jesus doesn't stop there and say i did it now chill he says i did it and it is finished but don't chill Because I deserve to have everybody in this world worshiping me. But everybody in the world is not worshiping me. So I want you to go make sure that what I'm telling you should be happening is happening. And that's your role and that's my role. Right? And so what he does, he says, okay, so now I want you, how are you going to do that? In mission to retell my story. The story of a sacrificial uh, in the scripture it talks about the lion, I mean, the, lamb, the lamb that was slain is the lion of Judah. I want you to go and I want you to live a sacrificial life. I want you to care for people and love them even unto death. Why? Because that's what you saw me do. Right? And that's why you can't have, it's weird to be, it's, it's an oxymoron to be a selfish Christian. How do you get selfish Christian when you're being who Christ is? It's weird. Right? And so he says, go retell my story. Right? And then what's happening here is Paul in that, and this is what we do. Paul is saying, so I'm retelling Christ's story. I want to remind you guys to retell my story as I'm retelling Christ's story. Who is retelling the story of the Father? And so what we're all doing in our life, what we should all be doing in the power of the Spirit, we should all be these little narratives of the big meta narrative. When people see how you care for other people, when people see you being kind, when people see you preaching the gospel, no matter what, all you're doing is reminding the world that Jesus rose from the dead. All right, that was just the intro. So, so that's where we are now. So he then said, so I want you to retell the story. And he says, now, in a nutshell, like, well, how do we bring it to the language today? I think he's basically saying, hey, guys, I'm leaving. I want you to be a thriving church, a gospel-centered, on fire, Holy Spirit, believing, feeling, crazy, radical, God-loving, just Bible-walking around versus quoting church, Right? That's what I want you to be. I want you to be on fire for Jesus. I want, you, I, want you, I want you to see your life matters. I want you to have aim and purpose and understand you're not just walking around here like an earth dweller, but you have purpose. Right? And he says, so I'm going to tell you what it looks like. And that's why he tells his life story. Okay? So then we looked at verses 1 um, to 24. And now we're in uh, verses 25 through 38. Okay? And he begins in verse 25 and he says, and now behold, I know that none of you. And so, yeah, if you didn't get one through 24, uh, hopefully this in itself would make sense. 
he's just shared with them basically, hey, you want to be a thriving church? You need to be humble, verse 19, right? You need to be vested. You need to reveal your emotions. You need to let people know that you're, you're down, right? This is not just a bunch of people getting together and kind of just being secluded in these different silos. But he's saying, let them know you love them and, and they see your life and you're pouring each other, pouring into each other. And that's what I love about our body. You know, it ain't, we don't do nothing sexy, but we, but we care for each other. You know what I'm saying? We down for each other. In fact, my boy, y'all better make sure y'all giving John Royal some meals. The brother building his house. I know y'all, I know I put you on blast like that, but we got to make sure you're all right. His girl gone, brother probably starving eating Cheerios, so we got to hook him up. All right? Fixing up his house. You could be a good cook. I don't even know, man. But, um, but he says humility, right? The guy wants us, he says, you want to be a, a, a thriving church? You be vested. He, you be courageous, right? Verse 20, to proclaim and teach the word. Right? So he's talking to the elders. Don't get it twisted. He's talking to the elders. But it's not like he's talking to the elders and he's like, well, I'm glad I ain't no elder. I ain't got to preach the gospel. No. Right? He's saying this to the elders. Those are the leaders. And he said, I want you to pour that kind of framework, that kind of mindset should be the, the culture, the fabric of your local body. Right? And he's saying, I want you to be impartial toward the gospel. Don't be impartial. Don't be racist. Don't be bigoted. Be impartial. Cool. But toward Jesus. Right? You want to be biased towards someone? Be biased about Jesus. Right? Even when people come and I do counseling, they all want me to be, take a side. I'm like, look, man, as much as I can, I'm not on your side. I'm not on your side. I want to be on the Lord's side. Right? And then be spirit-dependent and spirit-led, he's asking the people of God. And then be a content. Because, because he's saying in verse 24 and 25, in essence, there's a greater reward. He's going to revisit that again as we get into the text here. So that's what he does, 18 through 24. Now he says, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Can you imagine he's been with these guys, loving on them, caring for them all of a sudden they're like, I might not see y'all again, okay? So therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. How humbling, I mean sober, you know, you should, you should go away speech. First thing you say, look, I ain't, look, I, my blood, y'all blood is off my hand, all right? He's saying, well, why, why would you come like that? In a sense, why did Paul say this? Well, when you look at, um, in Genesis 9, verse 4, when you talk about what is the blood, uh, this verse, it says, but you shall not eat, and you can turn your Bibles or, or write the address down, Genesis 9, 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And when you look at uh, Ezekiel 33, 6 through 9, um, I won't go through the whole text because of time, but you can write that address down too. Um, but it says in verse, um, verse 8, I'll just go down to verse 8. Uh, this is Ezekiel talking. If I say to the wicked, oh, wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. So this is him talking to the prophet. If I tell you to say, say something to somebody, I tell you that, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't obey. And then you don't tell him, basically. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you, shall, you will have delivered your own soul. What am I saying here? Just want us to understand what he's talking about when he's talking about this whole concept of like, I'm, I'm, look, you should, uh, I, don't testify, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I think blood in the scriptures is always talking about life. Okay, so 
And so, so basically, you'll see this a lot. So basically, it's kind of the metaphor of, of life, and that, that life is in the blood. It's kind of the concept, and that's why even when we talk about the blood of Jesus, like, we, we get it twisted. We get all witchcrafty. And I told you guys, like, you know, you're pleading the blood of Jesus. Really, the concept was that, that the life, the person of Christ is the one who has the power and saves. There's nothing, like, supernatural. You've been watching the movies too much where you cut them and the blood drip out. Now it's kind of like supernatural blood because it was Jesus' blood. Like, that's not the point. The whole point is that Jesus is God. Right. The person, the life of Christ. What am I saying here is that uh, I think it's humbling to think about that, that in this text, I, I can't go too far and say he's just talking about the spiritual implication. I think he's actually talking about the reality is that when we when God prompts us in the Holy Spirit to do and say something that is, is the stakes are high. Right. And that that it can cause people their life. But I also think there's an, esch- there's, an esch- there's an eschaton issue here, too. He's talking about the, the last things. When Jesus comes back, that people will have two payments, that they can lose their life, but also because of iniquity, they can lose their soul, right? That they can, they can, they can spend forever without Christ, right? Because of us either listening or not listening to God. That's humbling, right? It's kind of jacked up, right? Because you think about it, then, well, so what does it mean to, like, 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 how do, like, what happens if I have done that? What happens if I have, you know, kind of like heard the Holy Spirit, like put on my heart to do something and I didn't obey, right? Because we're all guilty of that if we're going to keep it 100 up in here, right? Well, that's what, that's what I love about even the worst things we can do, God has covered those too, right? Christ has died for those things. But I want to propose to you, that's when we need to actually, just like he says, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1, 9, is that we need to confess those sins, acknowledge them to God, but also acknowledge to the Lord that this is real, that these are higher stakes, that God is saying, hey, sometimes God prompts you and we need to be faithful. And Paul is saying, hey, as much as I could, God was prompting me and I was preaching the gospel to y'all. So y'all got the gospel. If y'all leave and want, don't endure to the end and start wilding out, hey, that's on your own. That's not my fault. Right, this is this is Paul talking, okay, guys. This wants to understand clearly uh, what was happening here, and then he says, "For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God." So you can't. When am I a candidate of doing this? Well, it seems clear here. He's talking from the concept of when God gives us an opportunity to declare His word, and we're not obedient. Is that fair? Right. So the Spirit's leading, and we just decide. You know what? I'm gonna do my own thing. In verse uh, 6 of chapter 18 of Acts, he says, And when they uh, posed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, in the text that we're looking at, I struggle because I know he's, I know he's talking about like, human life too, but it seems to be more spiritual, in my opinion, than human in the text that we're looking at in, in, in chapter 20 when he's talking about this blood because it will be weird for him to say, you know, that he'd be talking about physical death there because it doesn't seem to be in the context, in my opinion. So uh, you guys work through that um, in your mat groups and things of that sort. All right. So he goes on to say uh, in the concept of shrinking back, which is interesting to me uh, because the, in my mind, it assumes something. It assumes that he's saying something to the elders, right, that, that might make you as a leader or him as a leader shrink back and not want to say it. Right? 
So that means there's stuff, we talked about this last week, there's stuff that we talk about in the covenant community with believers that we're actually, that can kind of make you nervous. Like if I say this, they might get mad. If I say this, they might, they might leave the church. If I say this, they might fill in the blank. And he says, look, I didn't care about what y'all thought. It was more important to be honorable and to be faithful to God. And so I was willing to not shrink back. And I pray that would be the, the cry of our church. All right, in a nutshell, I think in that verse, what we can say is, the, I love that this text helps us see at some level, we're going to see more of it, more of it again, the importance. Uh, we don't exalt the Bible. We're not, we're, we're not icon, icon people where we exalt the Bible as if it's on par with Jesus. But what we are saying is the, the, the scriptures are powerful and God uses his words. There is, a, there is an efficacy of God using his word, the sufficiency of scripture. I want us to have in our local church a high view of the Bible. A high view of God's word. Because he's saying here that about a proclamation of God's word, we can say at best, right, if you, I put here, at best, it allows people to have a better chance of experiencing eternal life and being with Christ. All right, we understand the Holy Spirit does it all, but we see here that there's something extremely powerful about the scriptures, right? I put the fullest mean of salvation that I can disclose to a person is through the whole counsel of God's word. And I think of what's the best way I can help a person have all that they can get to say yes to Jesus is by proclaiming with authenticity and clarity and fullness the scriptures. It's not, our, it's not my, 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 my uh, analogies and, note and jokes and stuff, right? It's the scriptures. He goes on uh, and says, verse 28, So therefore, you know, doing that, not shrinking back, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right? So you see God, so, so Paul is saying, hey, I, I gave it to college try, I worked really hard, and what I want you to understand, I want you to, I want you to do some things. I want you to first pay careful attention. Take heed. Watch out, be on guard, right? It's this call to vigilance. So when you think of being a thriving church, what does it look like? I want us to be a church that, man, we, our ears are always perked up. See, the thing is Satan, what he, he, see, he's such a liar. Here's what he and his demons do. He's more patient than us. So we, we get off the blocks. You know, you become a Christian, you get hyped. You read the Bible all the time, praying, going to meetings, all this stuff. And it's awesome, right? And he's like, yeah, but we'll wait. We'll see what happens in three years. And he kind of chills out. And so I want to propose to you one thing that we got to learn is that as we are fighting the fight of faith, that the flesh and Satan never takes a vacation. So you and I can never take a vacation because what I want to do by God's grace is I want us to leave here realizing not, not anxiety, but man, the stakes are high. The stakes are high for your soul and for the soul of others in our community and for your neighbors. Right? And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Right? You can't take a break. And I love this. He says, the elders, you must watch yourself and the people of God. And may I propose to you what I love. I shared this a while ago. When you look at Matthew 16, the door hinge, or what I would say to Matthew, uh, the gospel, where Jesus talks about who he is and talks about their call. I think this is happening here. Jesus says some things through man where he's saying, I'm talking specifically to you, but this is for everybody. And here's why. Because although we have elders in this church who have the call to shepherd the church, right? 
They have the call. I mean, there's verses that are very clear that God is going to hold the men who become elders here more strictly about what they did in the stewardship of Mac Avenue Community Church. Right. That's just, it is real. At the very same time, the cause of the elders and the things that he's asking the elders to do, he's also asking the people of God to do because we're all a royal priesthood. So don't, don't twist it, right? So God is going to definitely, you know, is going to look and say, Matthew, you are an elder. But also he's going to say, Brian, you are a Christian. Okay? And so when, I, when you see this sense of watch yourself and watch the flock, I just want to propose he's talking to everybody. He's saying you need to watch yourself, making sure that you're not living a duplicative life, telling people to come to Christ and doing all this stuff. But then on the side, you got a whole kind of crazy life. And I ain't going to even imagine it to start going there or what we can create because y'all know we all jacked up. Okay? He's saying no. He's saying that's for the elders. Don't you do that? But also he's saying for the people of God, you also need to look after each other. And that's the one I, I'm praying for our church that, man, we would look after each other. We would be we'd be seriously concerned about the spiritual longevity and the health of people in our local congregation. It'll be it'll be it'll be serious and important. Right. When someone falls and breaks their ribs and stuff, we own it. We like what happened? What you need, girl? Someone, you know, christen them, have a baby. I love our body. I, I went there. We get, we brought them some shakes because they were hungry one night. So we tried to find milkshakes at like nine thirty. How you find a milkshake at nine thirty? So we, and we don't do McDonald's. Y'all know your boy. So, um, so we're looking for that, and it's cool. We get there, and we heard people. The people of God have already been all up in the in the hospital visiting them. See, I love that about our body. You know what I'm saying? Caring for each other here, particularly. Look what he's talking about. He says, I want you to care for each other, to care for the church of God, which he obtained through his blood. Also, the Holy Spirit making you overseers. Let me, let me parse that out a little bit. So it's the duty of the overseers and shepherds, right, to care and tend for the sheep, to give them food. Uh, but look what he does here. He exhorts these elders and he tells them, he says, uh, let me explain what, what shepherding means. You talk about shepherd, I'm, I'm going to share with you uh, words like elder. I just want to make it really clear here. All these are words talking about the, uh, being in leadership, being, being, being in leadership. To give you some addresses, Titus 1.5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy or for gain. My point is this, is that the elder must not only be talking about the gospel of other people, but he must be a godly person. Okay? And look what he says here. He says all the flock. And, and can I just confess to you guys, this, is, this one's a hard one for me because in the flesh... Uh, we had a speaker come um, to encourage a bunch of pastors. I was with a bunch of pastors, and uh, we had a speaker come. It was really cool. And he said, I don't remember this, Lee. He said, uh, he said man, when I, when I began to pastor a church, I began to realize so quickly how I only wanted healthy people in the church. Right? And that when people move in, you don't want them crazy. Right? You want them really healthy. Right? You want everybody to come in, add value, can play an instrument, can like lead a Bible study. Everybody went to crusade and IV and, you know, you want everybody to be all off the chain, right? In the flesh. And I thought about that. I thought, man, that, that's me in the flesh. Like I, I don't want to do any work. I don't want to wrestle and cry anymore. I don't want people hurting me and my family anymore. 
I don't want people coming in with their agendas and arrogant, right, and 22 thinking they know stuff, and I'm keeping it real. You know what I'm saying? I don't want, I don't want that. And have them sit there and be like, ah, you're so arrogant. Ah, you know, like, and, and I just, and the Lord had to break me of like, look, man, like, this is why you in the game, right? Guess what? But well, here's the thing. You see the arrogance in that? As if I have it all together. See, the thing is, we are, when we're all honest, and that's why I like our prayer time, when we're all really honest, man, we all hollering at our kids when no one around. We're all saying things to our spouses that we, we hope no one heard. We're all doing things and saying things where we go, man, that totally did not remind anybody about Jesus but of Satan. And man, that's what's beautiful about grace. Is that, when I, is that when I start thinking like that as a pastor, I'm forgetting what God has done in the world and in me. When I start thinking, no, I want everybody to be just off the chain like me. See, you see the lie in that? You ain't off the chain, brother. Right? Yeah. So, you continue. Look at this. The stakes are high. He says, um, this whole concept, when it, let me just go back. He talks about, I love the way, the motivation. He says, uh, in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You notice how he says that? I love the way um, he says that because he kind of tried to give you a motivation behind, like, like why, this whole grace piece, why you should be wanting to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. Why? Like he, he's almost trying to help you see that the stakes are high and, and the cost was his son. And he's trying to show you that usually what you do should correlate to how you view some, what, what's happened to you. Let me explain that. Like, um, how do I say this? When, when someone, okay, Jesus died on the cross, okay? And he's like, I died on the cross for you. So what should be the response? Now, I can think of something silly. I can think of something, when I do something for somebody, I almost want them to know about it, right? Um, can I just say something silly? Like, like washing dishes. You know, if there's a lot of dishes, Tim, you know, Sarah will get done putting the kids down, and she'll come down to the kitchen and be clean. I'm like, baby, you see the kitchen? <laughs> She'd be like, yep, yep. I'm like, wait a minute, you, you, remember, you remember all the pots you had today when you was cooking? I watched all those. And she'd be like, oh, th- thanks, babe. I'd be like, no, no, they, there was a lot of stuff <laughs> in that pot, baby. You know? And I, and I find myself kind of reaching, wanting her to, to, to say, oh, that was awesome, right? Because I feel like I did all this work. I want your response should be like, well, based on that, I'm thinking that's huge. She should be like, oh, that was, that was awesome. I mean, I think about it, getting a little more serious, right? Uh, I, you know, when I was even visiting you, you guys and, and you see a, a baby born, what do you see the guy do? It's hilarious, right? So you're, you're experiencing your, your son or daughter born for the first time. And you are just like, you're not just blown away by that reality. You're really blown away at your wife. You're like, baby, you did so good. It was awesome. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. you're crying out all crazy. And that's when she says something like, okay, okay, why don't you redo the kitchen for me? You know? Or she's trying to get it like, trying to make you try and do something really good for her because you, she knows right now you're so enamored by what she's done that she, you're like, man, okay, baby, I'll redo the kitchen. I'll do whatever because I just saw you do this beautiful thing in my life. You know, and because you're like, dude, my wife just dropped eight pounds, nine ounces. Can I keep it 100? I'm like, what you want me to do? 
I'll buy you a car. I'll redo the kitchen. What you need? Right? Well, see, what Paul is doing here, he's saying, hey, look at what Jesus did. He's saying, it costs the father the blood of his son. He's saying, you, you don't... You don't have a pregnancy and, and the baby comes out and she says, oh, cool, and walk off. You're blown away. And he's saying, when you think about what Jesus has done for you and you realize what he's done in the cosmos for creation, there should be a response that correlates to the action that was done. You can't look at that reality and just be like, cool. Or something's wrong with you. You don't get the gospel. That's his point. He's trying to have those elders. I want you to understand that the stakes are high. Look what Jesus did. Right? Continues on. He says, look what Jesus did. The stakes are high. Look what also happened. Not only did Jesus do that, but then the Holy Spirit, he chose you. He chose you. That's grace. We, we still, I don't still get grace. I'm still trying to figure it out and live a life motivated by it. But man, when we think of the reality... That here's why I know we don't get grace a lot of times because we really think, and this is what happens to a lot of unbelievers a lot. Like, man, if like God, how do I say this? So when when my kids, we have this little jar and we have a little grace grace little piece that you can pull out. So when they get in trouble, they do something that's sinful, we say, okay, you should get a consequence because we're trying to teach them to understand the reality of how God's world works, right? You need a consequence. But every once in a while, you might go in and pull out grace, right? And so our kids, when they're two, three years old, give me grace, give me grace, because they got the grace concept real quick, right? (laughs) So they want grace. Now, here's where we don't get grace, because sometimes you get the punishment, and when you get mad, right, you did something wrong, you get punished for it, and when you're mad, you don't get that when I didn't punish you, I could have. And guess what? So, so say at that time, I didn't punish you. You got grace. Cool. Now, this time, I'm going to punish you, even though you did it. You did it, and I didn't. If you think, now I'm not as merciful, I'm not as loving, I'm not as forgiving, you don't get grace. Because what God is saying is that he's not... Forgiving and loving because he saved some of us. He could have destroyed and should have destroyed every person in this room. Have no one in heaven but him and the angels. And he would be just as merciful and gracious and loving and kind. We think that he's those things because he saved somebody. No, 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 no. It's just evidence. You guys get that? The action doesn't define who he is. He's not merciful just because he saved us. My point is the Holy Spirit chose you, and he didn't have to. God didn't have to choose us. And they're reminding him of that. God chose you, right? The stakes are high. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, so he says, this is who you are. This is who God is. Respond based on that reality. You want to be a thriving church. Remember who God is and respond to that. And he says, and I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking t- twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Right? 
So he gives this concept of wolves. Now, just real quick, we, we get the concept of wolves. Here's what I want to say. How do you know when you have the capacity or when you're, when you're on that wolf track, right? Because I'm proposing, right, right, Pastor? I'm proposing people don't sign up. You become a Christian. Who wants to be the wolf in the church and destroy the church? Me, right? People don't do that. So I'm, I'm convinced people many times are deceived and don't know they're wolves. So just in case, I want to make sure that all of us can make sure that we, we're not that guy or girl, okay? I want to propose you are on the track of being a wolf when you lean more on your experience than the Bible. I want to propose those are one of the key indicators that you will eventually cause violence upon the church. You can write that one down. When you find yourself leaning more on what you see than what the Bible says, you will eventually bring havoc upon God's people and you will grieve the father. So he's saying, hey, I want you guys to know there are cats like that around, right? And they're going to wait until it's nighttime to hunt and you need to make sure, not just the elders, talking about the elders, but all of us, that we protect the holiness and the the sanctity and the love of the the people community, the bond of peace that God died for. He goes on, he says, therefore, right, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The stakes are high, right? He's saying, how do you know stakes are high? Look, guys, I tell you, this is who God is. You know, Satan's out here trying to get us, the wolf of peace. And guess what? I mean, brother, I haven't gotten sleep in years, I'm working hard day and night, got pimples all in my face, and I'm, I'm jacked up because I'm just trying to figure out how to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel and love people and give my life as a drink offering. You tired? Are you tired? I'm telling y'all, I always say this, one of my dreams is, is that, you know, I never retire from preaching the gospel. I'll keep preaching the gospel, and, and I would love to be preaching the gospel and literally drop dead, you know, while I'm teaching. That'd be really cool. The... I mean, it won't be cool for the audience. So, y'all got a lot of explaining to do, but, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're going to tell them, Paul. So, um, but, but, but this whole concept of like, man, being tired, not being tired because you've been trying to fulfill your desires, but being tired because, man, you're praying for people, you're preaching the gospel, you're giving your, your funds, and you're like, look, God, I, I had to give it to this person. I hope you're going to hook me up because I'm trusting you. Are you tired because you're just expending yourself? For Jesus. He says here in verse 32, and now I commend you to God. So he said, hey, that, you want to be a thriving church? Be that. Now, hey, I've, I've shared with you my heart. This is what I'm about. I'm about to dip. Guys, I'm, commi- I'm giving you to the Lord. Okay, here, I commend you to God. Look what he says here. And to the word of his grace, right? I love that kind of word of his grace. I love he says the word of grace there, the word of grace. Or you could say, I'm committing you to God and, and God's truth, word of grace. Just made me think of like, wow, what does the word do? Look what it says here. Which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among, among all those who are sanctified. You see that? So what is the word of grace? The word of grace does something according to this text here, right? The word of grace is used to give you an inheritance. It seems the scriptures are talking about here, right? Right, how? Right, by those who are sanctified. So it sounds in this text here that those who are sanctified receive the inheritance, right? And what is the inheritance? I would propose that when you look at so many scriptures, it, 
It's the reality of the inheritance of, of, of new creation, of being with Jesus, of what we call heaven and, heaven and earth coming together, new creation, right? That we receive the inheritance that God has promised us that we are going to be with him with a glorified body forever, right? And so he's saying here, but so you want this inheritance, there's a sense of sanctification, people who are sanctified, that people don't need to be perfect, but they need to be holy. That's not me. That's the Bible. But I love word of grace. I love this sense of, see, this word of grace gives me hope because it's reminding me that God is a builder, right? That God, he gives this word of grace. And what does grace do? He says to build you up, right? See, see, Jesus doesn't tear you down. He builds you up. I say that because there's some of us in this room who've done some crazy things. And I know you start thinking, I just don't know if this is for me. I don't know, you know, you're hot, you're sitting there smiling right now, but you know there's sin patterns in your life that are totally just disruptive in your life. And you're going, man, I don't know if I'm believing God's grace. Man, I'm just, I, I just can't keep, I can't shake it. And I want to remind you the word of grace, that God uses his holy word to do something and to build you up, to, 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 to allow you to thrive again in Jesus Christ. I want, I want you to know that you have hope because of God. And he uses his holy word to remind you that he is here. He says his word is a builder. Look what he says in the scriptures. He says, and that word, when you look at that text there, when it's working in you, it does a couple of things according to the text, right? Look what it says in verse, in verse 33. It says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. So it sounds to me, if I can just go back to the text, let me just execute the text real quick. It says, and going back to 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Okay, so you give me the word of grace, which, what does it do? It builds you up. It, the word of God builds a person up. And what else does it do? As it's building you up, it gives you whatever he does as, he, as you're in the word, thriving in him, understanding his truth, responding to God based on who he is and what he's done. He then ushers you by his grace and the power of the spirit. He gives you an inheritance. And the people who get that inheritance are experiencing the word of grace because they're sanctified. That's 32. And then he says, and something else happens. Look what he says in verse 33. He says, when that's working in you, he says, and guess what? I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. It seems that Paul is saying, and you know, when that word is working in you, man, you, um, you're not worried about getting stuff. You hear me? You're not worried about stuff. Your life isn't about consuming and consuming, consuming but it's about releasing and giving and caring. Is that fair? Is that a fair theme that we're seeing in the text? He says, it seems that words working in me, it seems to take away the love of stuff, the love of idols when God's working. I covered in none of this stuff. And so I, want, I even want to say to my elders, and I know they've been holding me accountable, and that's one of the things, you, when you, wherever church you're at, your elder... You have elders, at, at minimum, need to be aware of their propensity to greed. If you have an elder in love with stuff, you need to process and bring expo- and expose that. I'm just going to pause and say that. He's telling these guys, that's not my deal. He does something else. Look at what it says in verse 34. 
You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And my hands, I, I, you know, I worked hard to get the stuff I needed, but also not just about me, but those who are with me. You see, when you don't love stuff, now you can serve people. Now you can give your life out. Right? See, people, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to keep 100 up in here. When, you, when, you, when people like this, it's hard. When it's about you, right, it's hard for you to now do something for somebody else. Now, am I asking you to be unhealthy and just don't, you know, just, just be silly and not take care of your family? Absolutely not. You know that, guys. I'm talking about in health, though. There, there should be a barometer where you are modeling, man, I'm giving my life out. But look at what he says here. I love this. He says, you know what? I, I did these things, verse 35, and all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help you know, look what he does here. So he says that, and then he says, and by modeling this and working hard, I'm showing you we must help the weak and remember the word of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see what he does there? You know what he's, you know what he's doing there? He's saying, guys, see, he's saying, hey, when you actually pour your life out, he, this wasn't just some weird quote. He didn't quote Jesus. His point was like, you get to be like Jesus. And guess what Jesus was? He was full of joy. Is that when you are doing what Jesus wants you to do, when you're not worshiping stuff and you're able to give your stuff and you're able to care and enjoy your stuff in a healthy manner. Because, again, have stuff. Don't worship it. Have stuff. But when we're not holding dear to it and then we have the, the opportunity to give and care and have eyes to see the needs of the people of God and people who don't love Jesus so they can see Jesus because you're modeling Matthew five sixteen, Then your good works to show who God is. Right. Basically. He's saying, when you're doing all that, you're, you're, you're reminding me of what Jesus said. And Jesus, when he was doing that, he was just flowing, man, giving his life out, enjoying. And so you, you, we, we, God redefines your life. He redefines your heart. And so now joy isn't just tied to emotions. But you have that gospel-centered joy where you realize, man, I'm doing what I was created to do. At that moment, when we're doing that, guys, we're being fully human. We're finally being who God has said, this is why I made you. I made you to worship me by pouring out. Worshiping Christ, don't get it twisted in our American churches, is not about good Bible doctrine necessarily sitting up in here and then being selfish. You missed it. Okay, I've got my seminary degrees. I've hung out at Gordon College. That, that you, very careful to think just you and your personal walk with Jesus, sitting at Starbucks, journaling and all that, and yet you ain't shared your faith in two years that you really exalt in Christ. You become spiritually constipated. Okay? And God needs to give you some, you know what I'm saying, Metamucil or something. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but... He says, the glory of God's inheritance, uh, basically, it seems like he's just basically reminding us what he said in verse 24 and 25, that when we're doing this, that that inheritance he's promised of, you get to experience that now. And that, and that the stuff you're giving up, and this is all through, remember we talk about doctrine, all the doctrine we ever talk about, you're going to see the fabric of it all throughout scripture. You know, just, the Bible doesn't just make up stuff. So if you can't find a thread, it might be some weird stuff we have made up. And one of these things that we see, the thread is a sense of God saying, man, whatever you give up, it's going to be, it's going to pale in comparison to what I'm going to give you. 
He's saying, you give all your stuff out, it don't mean nothing. Because you get in heaven and me and joy and peace and you know what I'm saying? Like he's like, really? I gotta I gotta, I gotta sell you on this. Ends by saying, and when he has said these things, so he pours it out, telling these guys, be a thriving church. This is what you need to do. You need to be able to give yourself out, realize the inheritance you have in the power of the Holy Spirit. You got to watch yourself in the word, though, because Satan's going to try and get you. You're going to be down and out. You're going to be sad sometimes. You got to remember what God has said. And as you're watching yourself in the word, he's going to sanctify you. And that's going to allow you to be moving forward so that we don't get it twisted that, you know, you just say a decision and you say forever. There seems to be all throughout scripture, this perseverance of the saint. Right? And then he says, man, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Oh, that's, some deep, that's just deep. That's one of those moments I wish I could have been there. You can imagine, he's already told them, I'm leaving you. You don't think they were listening intently to this dude? You leaving me? This Paul leaving. What you got what you, what you to tell me, bro? And then at the end, he says, come and let's pray. This is it. This is the, this is the prayer, man. We're going to pray together. He's going to bless us. Right? And it says, look at this. You think I'm just making this up? Because I'm so over, they're going to kill me. Um, go ahead, sis. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, don't know, I don't know what happens supernaturally. I mean, we're talking about a mystical component. But we do know that, man, the people of God, when they left ministries like this, and we see Jesus do it, he blesses the people. Right. And that's why we bless people. That's why we bless you at the end of service. Right. We bless you because that's why we do communion. All these are mystical acts where we are symbolically doing something to say that, God, your spirit is alive and doing something in us. And as we bless you, we're believing God. He's doing something mystical amongst the crew that you will live a life of holiness and passion and grace motivation throughout the week. So. I don't think it's off kilter to say that maybe some God, that, that Paul was believing God for something supernaturally to happen while he was gathering these leaders and saying, let me bless you. Let's pray right now for God's supernatural power to be upon you. And this won't just be a good speech, you know, for sure. But I love this sense. It says, and if you were thinking, I was just making all that, look at verse 37. And there was much weeping on the part of all. You see that? Why? They embrace Paul and kiss him. They're praying. He's kissing them, man. You, you're leaving Paul being sorrowful. Why? Because they still, you, he talking. They still think about, did he say he leaving? Look, verse 30, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They loved Paul. They loved their spiritual father. They knew the journey was ending, and they knew that they had been given a mantle. They knew this was it. Right? And I know as a pastor and even as a dad, man, I look at my kids and I'm trying to pour into them, trying to model God's grace to them. And at the end of the day, at some point, I'm going to say, hey, man, I gave you the brainwash. You know what I'm saying? I told you everything about Jesus. We preached the gospel. At some point, I'm like, I got I to leave those kids to make some decisions on their own. Man, it's a scary moment, but also it's a cool moment because we get to trust Jesus. Guys, when I think of our church, how do you take what's happened here and say, well, how do we apply this today? I, I just think we just got to keep asking ourselves as a local church. And I asked last week and I asked this week is, what's our goal in life? This is asking us, like, what you about? What we're about, guys, as a church. You know what I'm saying? I just want to remind you, you're being about the right things. You guys get weary because you're working hard. You're fighting for Jesus. You're preaching the gospel. You're living in community. You're trying to be known and know each other. 
right? You're having people over. Uh, you're, you're doing the mundane things, right? We all know it. You're MacAver, right? Everybody comes out. Oh, this is a cool church. You come here. You're like, man, it's kind of boring, right? You go home. You cook for your kids. You know what I'm saying? You try to have a date night with your boo. You try to have some people over here and there. You try to neighbor with some cats, and you go three months without neighboring because we're human. And man, it's just a, it's a grind, right? It's a grind, man. Ain't nothing sexy about covenant community, gospel-centered ministry. But it's real. It's good. Right? It makes you... So I just, I just always want to encourage you to, to fight the fight and keep doing what you're doing and do it all the more, as Paul said. And let's be praying for God's people to continue to rise up in our church and uh, keep neighboring and and asking people to be a part of the covenant community because I think God is doing something here. Can I ask you to to do that? You know, springtime, let's start hustling, y'all. You know, we talk about hustling for Jesus on the street. When it's springtime, you know, the brother approached me to Jehovah Witness. I'm like, I'm about to get you too, though. Now what? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) What's up? You know, let's do this. It's spring. So let's just have that tenacity, all right, guys? And, and I want to encourage you, man. This is, this, um, if, again, hey, get into discipleship. We want to ask you to be telling people about what we're doing. Make, brag about Christ, about the Mac building, man. Just make much of Christ in our community, okay? And I just want to say, guys, as your pastor, I'm just proud of you. I'm just praising God for you. I love our church. I think you guys are, are fighting a fight. I love the unity and diversity, not, only just, not just racially, but even like thought processes, man. We've got cats in here who are super conservative, cats in here who, who've experienced this supernatural things in the spirit, and we're trying to figure out how to do life together, man. And I just love that everybody's still at the table. We're still at the table. So uh, be encouraged. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've shown us at this church, and I pray. Uh, for you to be exalted. That's, what, that's our prayer, Jesus, as we have kids and we live life here and try to be faithful to our wives and our husbands and, and our kids and our neighbors. And as we just try to uh, retell your story through a, a life live of godliness and a quiet life. And uh, as we try to just be courageous on a block, man, preaching the gospel and, and having, you know, three on three tournaments and a whole nine, Lord, we just pray uh, that you would bless this stuff, Lord, as we see you know, brothers in our community, neighbors becoming Christians and starting to plug into our community. Lord, pray you can keep giving us that favor. And as we see people coming in, wanting a neighbor, Lord, just keep growing your church. And Lord, would you be gracious to use us to be faithful as you do that? And so uh, we just pray that we would uh, take heed to what you said in your word and uh, be doers in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, we do a time of tithing and offering. You guys can come on down. If you're new to our body.